Welcome everyone to Rock Animation Podcast. Uh, this is another episode of Dive Cuts. We are in season three. It is episode seventeen. I am your host, Samuel T. Snelling. Uh, I'm the site manager at Rockham Nation, if you're familiar with our website. With me on the other side of the mic is Matthew J. Harris, who has sprung off the injured reserve and is is, is back and uh, at full strength and ready to, to kick some tail. Matt, how are you? I'm fine. Uh, I would recommend to everybody, uh, one, you know, when you start dating someone, really consider the calendar and if their birthday is the day after your first date and the same weekend as Valentine's Day, you're going to have a lot of crap going on and you're going to pay for at least two nice dinners out of the deal. Like, <laughs> don't let that stop you. You know, don't, don't, don't let logistics get in the way of love. Just be aware um, that they're going to call in at least two of those. Uh, yeah. Your partner in question will call in two of them. And Monday night uh, was uh, my fiance's birthday. And then uh, last week we had uh, her job made it so that we had to celebrate our anniversary early. So, and then tonight we went and watched basketball for an early Valentine's Day gift. So all the things are done. Uh, we both got good food and basketball out of the deal. So wasn't injured, just had to keep things calm on the home front. <laughs> well, uh, you know the the injured reserve when you're um, when you're a website blogger um, takes all forms. So, um, I think a lot of our our readers might know that I usually am gone at some point during February, um, and it's not happening this year because we're we're uh, saving up for kind of a big trip in um, October. So, yeah. We have that to look forward to, but uh, yeah, the um, the sort of marriage of events, sort of centering around one time, is is something that you have to pay special attention to. So, if you're in that situation, like our friend Matt here, uh, maybe you know set aside a little extra dough, set a you know savings account to make sure that you got all your bases covered when that time comes. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, make sure that when you get married. You give it at least three months clearance from everything else. I'm, uh, you know, thrilled I'm getting married. Equally thrilled that it drops on May 2. So that way we get enough, enough of a buffer zone here. Enough of a buffer zone. Yeah, so we did the, the fall uh, wedding. And uh, my birthday is in July. Hers is in January. Um I do kind of feel you like on like the back to back as having like Christmas and then her so her birthday is uh, mid January, it like that that birthday kind of gets on me fast. <laughs> um, thank God she's yeah, let me, so, thank God she's let me combine anniversary birthday into one thing. Thank God she's been judicious like that. Well, and and our uh, our I guess first date um, happened on February thirteenth, so. Um, fortunately, my wife is not a big uh, Valentine's Day person, so we just we go out to dinner, and we'll be going out to dinner tomorrow night um, to celebrate what will be uh, eleven years. So, eleven years. 
I'm glad we got the relationship advice dispensed in the first couple minutes here. <laughs> I'm really glad that um, people turned. Well, you know, like, like last pod, even though it's been a while since we pod, I think the last pod was the one uh, that we we got pretty deep into bourbon. So we might as well talk about dating. Yeah, might as well. What? I mean, what's there to talk about in basketball, right? What's What's there to talk about? Uh. Well, I so they've played better the last couple of games. This is true. Um, not getting blown out uh, is better than getting blown out, and uh, and they did so against uh, you know two two teams that look to be NCAA tournament bound, uh, which is definitely preferable to getting blown out by a team like Texas A and M, who will not sniff the tournament. Um, so yeah, so I guess we could kind of go back and, um, touch on what worked, what has maybe kind of changed for Missouri. Uh, one, I mean, I think I've kind of talked about it study all, but they, they, they need multiple guys to kind of play well, to kind of get through it. Like they don't really have one guy who can carry a team, you know, like I think, you know, Georgia has Anthony Edwards, who's capable of kind of putting together a night where he can just beat somebody on their own. I think you look at Ole Miss and Brian Tyree and what Brian Tyree uh, just did to um, God, uh, Mississippi State. I mean, Ole Miss throttled Mississippi State because Brian Tyree put up 40 points. So Missouri doesn't have anybody like that, and uh, they need more of a collective of guys to play well. Um, I think we've seen Xavier Pinson uh, play two of his better games of his career. Um, that's good. Reed Nico has been consistent, um, and, and kind of being able to convert around the rim and, and provide good defense. He still fouls a lot. Uh, but you know, the other and guy we've did sort too. of seen the, what's that? The other guy did too. So yeah, the, uh, and then, so, uh, we've seen the, I guess, emergence of a guy who we've long been, um, I guess per big proponents of, and that's Trey Jackson. I think you have those kind of three key elements, and then you know I, I think having other guys play well allows Drew Smith to not have as much pressure on him, and allows him to sort of you know take on a more secondary role, which I think he's much more comfortable in. Um, you know, because he's still capable of scoring, and I think when you mix all those things together, you, you're just going to get a lot better performance uh, from Missouri in general. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the one thing we talked about was that the the offense was always sort of a collective uh, enterprise, and even within that, you had guys, you know, in the preseason, you know, Mark Smith, Jeremiah Tillman, Drew Smith, who, you know, we talked about them, you know, being guys who could kind of trade off who was going to be the leading scorer one night, and, you know, it was almost going to be kind of a scouting report dependent sort of level of deference there you know whoever had the best matchup or whoever was going to be able to exploit what the opponent gave Missouri was going to kind of be the guy that I think drove the bus a little bit and you know that got derailed and it's been you know sort of hard for Missouri I think at least in the near term to sort of figure out what it does without Tillman there we've talked about that at length but I think the one thing that has helped them is that and I I will say this first because I'm as hard as anybody on this player. Xavier Pinson, I think he's had two of his better 
games. And that's, you know, setting aside the shooting performances because, you know, you and I, you know, sort of have said, you know, our expectation for Pinson isn't that he's a guy who just operates solely out of isolation situations. He becomes a guy who can run good offense, who can, you know, get you into good plays, who can get guys the ball in spots, and who can make good decisions. And, you know, I think looking at the last two games, he's got something like a 9-3 to three assisted assists against turnover, so a 3-1 to one assist to turnover ratio. He's grabbed six rebounds and average six boards the last two games. You know, he's hitting free throws. You know, he's getting to the line. So even if the shooting numbers aren't there necessarily – it just feels like the other areas of the stat column that you always talk about, you know, when we look at study hall, have been filled out nicely. And, you know, just having him, you know, sort of doing those things and providing ball handling, sound decision making, putting pressure on the defense and drawing fouls, you know, within the confines of the offense has really, I think, leveled out for them. And it's taken pressure off Drew to sort of, you know, be the guy who every night can, you know, know fit where Missouri needs him to and you know just having Nico around the bucket as a finisher you know a guy who can you know maybe lean on guys defensively get some putbacks you know maybe get some post-ups but just you know find a way to be high high efficiency low usage has buoyed this team you know the last two games the starters have I think four starters have reached double figures in the last two games that that's what healthy offense looks like for this group and we can talk about you know how the matchups maybe influence that a little bit but even that context included they've just gotten a little bit more balance up and down the lineup and and it's amazing what happens you know and how different this offense looks when they get that yeah and i so kind of talking about the you know the matchups um you know i i think it's it is important because I've, I've always felt, really, that, you know, I, I believe that Missouri runs good stuff. I, I think that the offense generates the kind of looks that it wants. Um, I mean, when it gets late in the clock, do they maybe have some trouble, uh, you know, finishing out of possession, stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot harder when you don't have... You know, like I said earlier, like a Brian Tyree or Anthony Edwards, you don't have a guy like that who you can just throw the ball to and say, "Get us a shot." Um, you know, even even Pinson, as well as he's played, is, isn't really that kind of guy. Like he's he's not a guy that you're kind of capable or, or you're comfortable with him squaring up his defender and shooting, you know, a twenty three footer if it comes down to that. Um, you know, he he tends to be a lot more efficient shooting the ball when he's on the receiving end of a kickout, um, and so I think when it comes to like late clock and stuff like there, that that's where they struggle a lot. Um, but throughout this entire season, they've gotten the looks they wanted. They just have shot a really really poor percentage, um, and it sort of makes the offense look bad, you know. And it's just like, and I realize that it's kind of weird, but it's when you see the same guys doing the same things, only they're making those shots. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, man, like the offense looks great. I'm like, well, yeah, it looks great when you make shots. Um, but they're running the same things or doing the same things when they're not making those shots. It doesn't mean that they're not running good offense. So I say all that because when you look at 
So the the benefit of playing Arkansas and LSU is even though those are both teams that are, you know, at this point looking like they're an NCAA tournament team, um, is Arkansas has an interior issue, uh, and they also were without Isaiah Joe. So they lack size inside. They don't have any shot blockers. So you can attack the rim. Um, and the officiating uh, decided that they were going to call a lot of fouls around the rim, and that allowed Missouri to generate points uh, in the easiest way possible, which is sending them to the line. Then against LSU, I mean, LSU is, is they are what they are. They're just not a good defensive team. Um, Missouri was able to get a lot of really, really good looks, and this time they made them. Um, you know, I said in study hall that I really feel like they were probably one more made three in the second half uh, from from clinching that game. Um, you, you know, I think there were several points and they were up six or up eight when all they needed was that three to go in, uh, and they didn't get it. Um, you know, or maybe just shoot a slightly better percentage from free throw line. Um, so, you know, I think the benefit for Missouri is, is the matchups against Arkansas and LSU were a little more favorable than maybe you would think if you just look strictly at where these teams are ranked. You know, Missouri kind of being in the 100s in Kempom and both those teams kind of being top 40. But, you know, it, like that's sort of, you, you have to kind of go beyond what the rankings are and look at what each team's strengths and weaknesses are. Uh, and, you know, Missouri defended Arkansas well and, you know, they were able to kind of take, you know, Mason Jones out of what he wanted to do. And, and when you remove Mason Jones from the Arkansas offense, like they, they bogged down in a hurry. Yeah. And I, to kind of pick up, pick up that, I mean, you look at what LSU lacked, which they had a year ago, which was just, you know, we can, we were not exactly uh, exultant fans of Nas Reed, but the dude just would eat you up on the glass. He could get to the glass and he could, and he could at least board. Cavell Bigby Williams, kind of the same thing. Dude could swat shots and go get re- and go get misses for you. And so LSU, I don't think was as you know good on the perimeter defensively last year. I think they've kind of they're kind of the same as they were. Last year, but they just don't have erasers on that back line that can rotate over and make life hell for you. And once you take those guys out of the equation, you know, Darius Days is what, six foot six, and Emmett Williams is six seven. Trenton Watford is, has some length, but he's more of a modern combo forward. All those guys are more perimeter oriented kind of bigs. You know, they're not guys mm-hmm. that are just going to, you know, camp in the short corner on offense and just hang out. You know, and rotate on the back line. So it, and given how LSU likes to switch some things, and sometimes, you know, how they decide to defend some ball screens, you know, you can get by them, and you can get downhill, and there's no one there for you. And for the, a team like Missouri that doesn't have, you know, guys who can put the ball down on your head when they get to the rim, that's a boon. And they exploited that last night, and they were committed to it early on and I think that was that's sort of been the biggest thing I've noticed the last two games is there's just a lot more commitment to driving the ball early in the game you know Missouri you know wants to create open jumpers and I get that's what the offense is geared toward but when you're not shooting the ball as well like just drive it just drive it and put pressure and see if you can create something you know at the rim and create a foul opportunity to get the other team in foul trouble get that rim protector 
to the bench and to see what you you know what can be you know creative by being assertive and I think they've been that way the last two or three games and that's sort of been a relief to see them say okay we know we can create open jumpers but let's see what happens when we put the ball in the deck too so I think that change in mentality has has definitely been evident so they're they're 11 and 13 three and eight in the SEC um got a really tough game coming up it is a home game which helps um it's a nasty matchup but yeah so we were talking about matchups and sort of the importance of matchups <clears throat> and Missouri since Conzo has been here has really struggled to play against Auburn they they had a game where they shot really well <laughs> last SEC tournament uh and they made it interesting down the stretch but it was still never a game where you felt like Auburn was completely threatened um as opposed to some of the more recent uh regular season games where Auburn is just sort of annihilated uh you know Missouri and um so this Auburn team uh is a little bit uh more smoke and mirrors than what their record would suggest um but they just keep winning games. They're man. currently, yeah, you know, and I, I keep seeing people sort of saying, "Hey, you know, they're they're winning. They're you know they they are." Uh, <laughs> I mean, but like the SEC is not a great league, and they're not exactly, you know, separating themselves from some questionable teams. Uh, you know, they. I think this is a game that if Missouri is able to sort of not just cough up the ball a ton and make a few shots, that, that they'll be able to stay in the game and, and make it inter- interesting. But the way Auburn plays, uh, you know, that the tempo at which they play is, is certainly something where, um, yeah, I, I think this is going to be a challenging game for Missouri. I just, it's not a matchup I really like or look forward to for them yeah they've played five they've played four games this year where they have eclipsed 80 processions in regulation like that they just they will play fast and you know their adjusted tempo you know says 68.7 possessions and but and they will play in the upper 60s but man they are not afraid to get into the mid to upper 70s in possessions they are not afraid to make games into track meets. And I, you know, with Missouri, it's, it's different in that, you know, Missouri wants, you know, to force long possessions. They want to dictate the pace that way. And Auburn in the last couple of years has, has just had guards who are in, you know, Bryce Brown, Jared Harper. Now they've got Samir Downey and Javon McCormick who are just, they're just so damn assertive. They just want to take the fight right at you. And, you know, Missouri, to a certain degree, I think likes to see if it can be tough and frustrate teams and force teams to back up a little bit. Auburn's not going to be cowed by that. They're going to want to continue to put pressure on you. And they're not afraid if a couple jumpers don't go. Dowdy doesn't have a jumper drop. You know, if they go a little bit of a dry spell, you know, they're they're gonna keep coming at you, and the jump shooting hasn't been as good as it was last season. But 
you know, Dowdy is still a guy who shoots 50% inside the arc. Okoro has been, I think, exceeded our expectations. I think we thought he was going to gonna be a guy who kind of be um, an athletic kind of, like, catalyst for them, but we didn't know that he'd kind of be as complete as he's been this year. You know, he's shooting 60% inside the arc. You know, he's... You know, he's you know, f- providing a little bit of rim protection. He draws fouls. You know, he's an efficient... It's, op- he's so good attacking the rim. He's so, just like- so good playing downhill. <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know... And doing it within the structure of the half court, too. You know, it can be driving the ball. He's He's got a great knack for cutting off the ball to the rim and finding creases. So, they're just so assertive, and they don't let up at all. And they'll do it at 68 possessions, and they'll do it at 75 possessions. They're just so committed to controlling the tempo and playing how they want to play. And their guards and their perimeter players are also, I think, have typically had a little bit more of an athletic advantage over Missouri. And that's just been really, really tough for Missouri to overcome. And we talked about it a little bit before we came on air. The back line of Macklemore and Wiley maybe isn't, you know, pretty offensively, but they they have length, they have size, you know, they, they can protect the rim, they can get on the glass, and they're just fine, you know, subsisting off dump-offs, the occasional post-up, and, you know, going to the offensive glass. You know, they're just, the matchup just is not, you know, favorable to Missouri in, in almost any way. So... Last year in the SC, uh, SEC tournament game, uh, Missouri shot 15 of 30 from the three-point line and 8 of 22 inside the arc. Um, that's some, some special numbers right there. Uh, Javon Pickett was 0 for 5 from 2. And he was also struggling with some back issues. But uh, you know, he's a guy that tends to get bothered by athletic wings. Um and uh, so, you know, Torrance Watson was 6-9. Jordan Geist was 5-11. of 11. Um, You know, I don't really see <laughs> um, anyone sort of filling that role this year as somebody, like, being able to score in the way that I think Auburn is sort of capable of scoring. Um, and I think that's the thing that sort of worries me about this game is uh, you know, the way that Missouri played when they were at Auburn, you know, they, they played well in the first half. They sort of slowed the game down. Uh, they were able to control the tempo. But Auburn's one of those teams, like, and even, like, I realize they're they're different this year than they were last year. Um, they're a little more hot and cold from, from deep. But if they get, like, two or three threes to fall in a row, like uh, you can get down in a hurry, especially like, you know, the way they're capable of turning the ball over. Um, yeah, it's, it's just one of those things. Like I, I, I would really like to see, um, I would really like to see Missouri surprise me in this and, and be able to control the tempo the entire game um, and find a way to, to, to make enough shots to, to stay in the game. But I just have a hard time f- thinking that, Somehow, you know, Auburn, who just keeps finding a way to win, and they've had now three overtime games in a row, and four of their last five have gone to overtime. Um, 
I just have a hard time seeing like Missouri be able to sort of finish in the way that they would need to, um, you know, to beat Auburn, even, even at home. And I, I realize like they're playing better. So anything's possible. Uh, I just, I just don't like this matchup, Matt. I don't like the matchup. Nah, and last year when they played well in Nashville against them, they were, like you said, they were 8 of 22 inside the arc. That's what Jeremiah Tillman going 4 of 5. So the rest of the lineup is, <laughs> right. is 4 of 17, around 25% inside the arc. And keep in mind, too, that like then out of that 4 out of 17, you know, there's 2 out of 3 from Jordan Geis. So now what are you down to? two out of 14 outside of the top two guys like that, you know, maybe, you know, Drew Smith can replicate what Geist, you know, kind of a year ago with kind of that ability to worm his way in and kind of use some footwork around the paint, but he's on one good ankle right now. So maybe that should check those hopes. Like it's, you know, Javon Pickett and Xavier Pinson last year were one of 10 inside the arc. And you look at what Pinson's done the last two games against teams that are not, you know, really long and don't have a ton of rim protection and how he's kind of struggled at times in SEC play, it just doesn't really bode well for what Missouri's going to have to do. And Because in the last two games, they've been able to get to the rim and at least draw some fouls. And, you know, they've been able to kind of gut check their way to two-pointers. I just don't think that's going to be feasible against Auburn. So you're almost going to have to hope for a team to just have an insane shooting performance and you know keep the tempo down not have careless turnovers you know not you know just bleed out possessions but they're going to have to shoot the ball incredibly well and they're going to have to maximize every single every single trip down the floor to to give themselves a chance yeah and uh, another advantage uh like the last couple games Missouri is playing teams that don't play a whole lot of, of guys and Auburn is not that team like Auburn, Auburn has no problem through. going yeah they'll they can go to 10 and not really see a huge drop off I think one of the things that I was sort of skeptical about Auburn kind of going into the year was the fact that they had so many of these guys but they didn't really have anybody that was like gonna that looked to me like a standout player and I think they've since kind of developed that a little bit in Doty um, and Okoro, um, Okoro got a little, uh, banged up in the game tonight. We'll see, you know, what comes of that. I think it was a hamstring thing, but, uh, yeah, I mean like not being able to kind of get into the bench and, and really deplete their opponent the way they did against Arkansas. Um, you know, and, and obviously like LSU, the fouls were more on Missouri's side. Uh, but still like that's a team that, they don't really have a lot of places to turn. And I think you could see that once they would go to their bench, I think Missouri was able to kind of take advantage um, of, of those matchups. And I, I just I don't get that sense um, from Auburn. So the other, the other problem here is Auburn is as the top free throw rate in the sec and <laughs> the fourth best free throw rate nationally. Sam, what does Missouri do a lot of? <clears throat> on the defensive end of the uh, floor. They tend to foul a lot. Yeah. So even if you, you know, do a good job forcing tough shots, even if you you know, stay with them on the glass early on, 
what happens if Reed Nico gets two quick ones? What happens if Mitchell Smith, you know, is, you know, kind of on the borderline, maybe having three fouls early in the second half, you know, Trey Jackson is for as much, we can talk about him in a minute, but as much as we've been, you know, proud of the, how he's emerged offensively, he will give up rebounds and sometimes he will give up, uh, he will commit silly fouls. Not because I think it's he's foul prone, but I think, like we've said, he's learning how to defend on the perimeter. But yeah, uh, this—that's the other issue for Missouri here is, even if they force tough shots, they you can kind of see a reprise of the LSU game where they just put Auburn on the line a ton and you know offset whatever good good work they do with the scouting report and defending during live ball situations. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this could be another sort of marathon game where, uh, you know, Missouri puts Auburn on the line for 30 or 35 free throws. Uh, And if that's the case, then I don't like their chances. Um, If they are able to limit that in some fashion, um, let's say they put the over under, like, uh, I think if, if they keep it under, like, 15, 15 foul shots. I'll feel a lot better about their ability to keep Auburn off the free throw line. But anything like north of that, I think you're probably probably looking at at least 20 um, would be my guess. Um, that's just too many. It's too many. And the final point about Auburn is like they, you know, they don't, their starting lineup doesn't have a ton of jump shooting in it. But they can, you know, plug in Devin Cambridge or Jamal Johnson for little stretches if they need some floor spacers. You know, that's the thing. You know, if Missouri loads up, you know, to clog the middle and clog driving lines, they can go tap Cambridge or Johnson and just, you know, see if those guys can kind of crack the defense open and force Missouri to come out a bit. And if that happens, then you're going to get that pressure applied on the defense. So, again, you know, just not a great matchup. Just... Not, not fortuitous uh, for Missouri in almost any way. Well, and then they will play uh, Ole Miss. Um, Ole Miss is uh, sort of riding a little bit of a streak here. They've won uh, three in a row. Coincidentally, Matt, those three games they won in a row uh, were home games. I think that's one thing to note um they did beat georgia on the road but this is a team that typically doesn't play very well on the road um they do have an away game at kentucky uh this saturday while missouri is taking on auburn i'll be curious to see how they play um but very very important for them is the play of tyree uh, i mentioned earlier he went off he had 40 points uh against mississippi state he had 23 against florida florida is really struggling um they were having a really hard time with texas a&m tonight but when we we came upstairs to record uh and then before that tyree had 38 points against south carolina um lsu beat Ole miss and tyree had nine Auburn beat Ole Miss. Tyree had eight. Uh, so I think it's very clear. Like, I think you can beat them with him, you know, being able to score the ball. But 
it just increases your degree of difficulty quite a bit. Um, I'd much rather them be trying to rely on guys like Devontae Schuler, uh, Blake Hinson, uh, KJ Buffin than Brian Tyree. Yeah. And, you know, we've been wrong about some things this year. You no, know, I think we were, you know, Missouri season hasn't gone as we forecasted. Um, you know, Auburn's probably been more consistent than we thought they were going to be. Um, I think, you know, we thought Alabama had a chance to, to be pretty good, but I think we kind of pegged Ole Miss correctly. Um, I think we were, you know, we kind of thought that they had three guys. They had Tyree, Shuler, and Henson. And they needed Henson to kind of take a little bit of a step forward to become. Now he was 100, he had a 110 O rating last year, but that was only on like 16 or 17% usage. He wasn't like a guy who had to carry the op- offense. He was probably like a third or fourth option. Shot the ball well from deep, you know, averaged 34.8%. Now maybe he needed to be better inside the arc a little bit. You know, maybe a little bit stronger on the boards, but this season, you know, the turnover rate has doubled, nearly doubled. You know, his, you know, his, his free throw rate's about the same. His, you know, jump shooting numbers are about the same. Free throw shooting's off a little bit. You know, he's just kind of the same guy he was a year ago, and that that has not been enough to sort of fill in the gap and give that front court some sort of threat. So you can really kind of load up. On, on Tyree and on Schuler, and they just don't have a lot of options after that. I mean, Kadeem Sai is getting some run, and he's pretty good, and he can be a post threat for them. He's got some size, some length, but, you know, he's not, I wouldn't say he's a, a true post threat for them. If you're playing through Kadeem Sai, it's a problem. Uh, like, like, yeah, that's I guess advantage Missouri. But I guess that, that's my point is there's not like a front court, you know, there's not a third option, and that guy's not a big guy. You know, you you can kind of extend a little bit on Ole Miss and apply some pressure. KJ Buffin is still kind of a jack of all trades guy, and then man, there's just not a lot else after that. You know, I'm, I'm looking up and down. You know, the Kim Pom profile here, and you know, Bryce Williams is a junior, 91.6 percent offense rating, 29.2 percent of minutes. Austin Crowley, a freshman, playing 38.6 percent of minutes at his position, 93.3. Sammy Hunter, a freshman, who is apparently out now, 92.3 offensive rating. Antavian Column and Franco Miller. You know, Franco Miller is a redshirt freshman, 39.9%. And Column, you know, 18.2% of minutes, 76.5% offensive rating. There's just no depth, man. They've got mm-hmm. four guys. They've got five guys they'll put on the floor. But, you know, their minutes continuity is high at 107 nationally it's slightly above average and their bench minutes around 28.2 they're not rolling a lot of guys through and kermit has one of the higher two foul participation rates in the sec meaning that if he has a guy who picks up two of them he's going to let it ride because he just doesn't have a lot in his bench to turn to so you couple that with the road struggles that they've had it's if you're going to get if you're missouri this is a game you got to pick up especially after dropping two dropping the season series to A&M. This, you just can't drop this at home. It's a team with not a ton of depth. You know who you need to stop. You know, just you got to take care of business. This is just one. You know, I hesitate to say that in a year where Missouri has been inconsistent, but this is one you got to pick up at home. You have to hold serve. 
Yeah, and I mean that would kind of put them at four and nine. Um, you know, which with uh, yeah, so you got Vandy on the road finishing out uh, home game against Mississippi State. Mississippi State has not really played well on the road. Uh, then you play Ole Miss one more time. Um, I, you know, think if you beat them at home, the odds are probably not great that you're going to beat them at their place. Uh, and then you get Alabama at home. So I, I think uh, I think they can find their way to maybe three more wins. Um, to me, it's it's probably Ole Miss, Vandy, uh, and either Mississippi State or Alabama. Um, but I think I think. If you get three more wins down the stretch, um, so that would uh, that would put them at like six and eleven. Is that right? Um, so six and eleven, but you went from one and five to six and eleven. Like I feel like that would kind of give people the kind of I don't know. Well, you'd be five and positivity heading into the off season. You'd be five and six really coming out of the meat of the schedule. It was a meat grinder to start SEC play, like we thought. You know, but again, like we said in the preseason, Missouri's fortunes were kind of going to be dictated by what they were able to do in January. Like, the the back end of the schedule was not designed to get you an NCAA tournament resume. It was sort of designed just to, you know, pad the win column a little bit if you were an NCAA tournament team. So if you're Missouri, what you're hoping for right now is that, you know, with two key players out of the lineup for stretches, you manage to grit your teeth and kind of get to 500. Like, again, I'm sure there are fans that are going to say that is mediocre and you shouldn't accept it. But under the circumstances, you know, that's probably the best they could have hoped for. You know, maybe you want to flip the result of the road trip to A&M and get six and five. And seven and eleven overall, but you know, the season in a lot of ways was dictated in January with how the SEC schedule set up for them. And once Tillman went down, and given the offense's overall struggles, it was just it was going to be a hard road to to really get to an NCAA bid. Well, and you know, Gary Parish had a uh, uh, a tweet I think over the weekend when I think some Memphis fans were. I guess trashing, uh, you know, Memphis and, and the way that they played this year. How quickly the Memphis worm turns! Is, yeah, like Memphis is seventeen and six. Um, Without James Wiseman, you know, they're they're sixty fifth in Kempom. Uh, yeah, like James Wiseman left the team. Um, you know, DJ Jeffries is is been hurt. Uh, they have sort of you know s- struggled with guys in and out of the lineup and and it's one of those things where you know I sort of quote tweeted it and threw a little emoji in there but you know I think you can't really talk about this season or really Conzo Martin's tenure at Missouri without talking about the impact of injuries and I'm not going to equate Jeremiah Tillman to James Wiseman who is probably at worst a top three draft pick um but anytime you remove two of your three best players from game action, you're going to suffer. Uh, now, 
even before those guys were hurt, was Missouri playing up to the capability of what we thought they could play like this year? No. Uh, I think that's completely fair to say. I think they look to me like a top 60 team. When I was thinking they would be like more top 40. Um, you know, and, and as the season kind of progressed, you're like, all right, well, I'm going to reset my expectations. Uh, and if this is a team that could just sort of be on the bubble, um, you know, I, I'll feel like it's a successful season, even if they don't make the NCAA tournament. Whereas, whereas I was kind of going into the season thinking that this is a team that had the pieces, uh, if they all kind of fell into place, that they they would be a tournament team, even if it was like on the back end. Um, but when you lose those guys... Uh, you know, the, the entire season completely changed, especially when you lose Jeremiah when you did, uh, going into the most important stretch of games, uh, you know, of the season and that the first five or six games of the SEC. And, and I think that just sort of, even though Missouri was competing and playing hard, not winning takes its toll, and I think that's probably um, without getting sort of psychological on on the players and all that kind of stuff. But I think that's sort of what happened when they went on the road to Mississippi State and got blitzed, uh, and then the you know the next four losses sort of piled up. You know, I think by that point they were just sort of worn out a little bit. So um, I'm happy that they've looked like they've rebounded. Um, but unless you're talking about a uh, healthy Jeremiah Tillman next year, a healthy Mark Smith next year, uh, if they want to get like, they, they don't look like a for sure tournament team, even with those guys. Um, and so it's still going to be an incredibly important off season for Conzo Martin. If he, if he wants to sort of get the, um, you know, the, more common fan back on board with what they're trying to do. Yeah, and we we've said this, but I think three things can be true. One, Tillman's injury just uh, radically kind of altered the trajectory, just coming when it did, and in the manner that you know Missouri was sort of playing at when they needed him in a, a stretch of games. Not just tough teams in general, but teams that all had some dominant front court guys. You know, in Kentucky, you know, they had, you know, Nick Richards. Tennessee still had some size with Fulkerson. State had Perry and Dew. A&M had Nebo. West Virginia had, you know, Culver and Tishweba. You know, just not just good teams, but teams that had the size to, to really impose their will on Missouri. It was just, you know, there are good teams that maybe don't always have kind of the size of the rim protection, but those teams did, and it just hammered Missouri at the wrong time. So that – that can be true. Second of all, you know, while Pinson has played better lately, um, and while Pickett has has had you know upswings during the season, I'd say that in aggregate they have not changed a lot. I've said that consistently. The numbers sort of still back up that statement. And then Torrance, but well, I think the sophomore class, yeah, in general, has just underwhelmed. And yeah, you know, I looked at the numbers a couple of weeks ago and. You can trace it pretty clearly that you know. Without them, the the offense is 
you know, if you look at the five key returners this year, you know, if you include Tillman and Mark Smith in that group, you know, the, and I think this was last weekend, the average points per possession among those five was 0.83. That is, that is equivalent to 303rd nationally in the half court. Like, Missouri is, the, those five have just, and it's even worse once you strip out Tillman and Mark. So it's just those those sophomores have just not been able to take the step forward that you know we all expected, even in modest terms. And then I think the third you know thing, and we can talk about this is, you know, we haven't really seen a freshman sort of step into that combo forward role. And again, it doesn't have to be scoring, but I think it just has to be a consistent presence. And you know. Kobe Brown early on looked like he maybe showed some signs, but he's kind of running to a wall a little bit lately. I know he had a, kind of some sickness going into A&M, and it, maybe that just the drag on the season's kind of gotten to him. You know, we're thrilled to see Trey Jackson get extended minutes and sort of play through some of his issues, but they are real issues. You know, you can see why Conzo may have had some hesitation in putting him out there, um, but. Ultimately, they need guys who can go get them buckets, and you can sort of grit your teeth there. But the freshmen have maybe been asked to do a little bit more than we thought they would, and they just have not been able to find the kind of consistency you want. And so you look at this team, and you can see, you know, if they could find, you know, consistent performances night in, night out, they could be an eight or a nine seed, you know, in a, you know, an SEC that's not, you know, the worst it's been in at least seven years. You know, they could be a team that could, you know, but you know what I'm saying? They could be a team that finishes sixth or seventh, seventh or eighth, get a tournament bid, get an eight and a nine seed, you know, maybe win a round one game and, you know, give a one seed some trouble because of how well and how aggressively they can defend. But that gets harder now. And, you know, it's confounded by the fact that, you know, we don't have a clear read on what this team is because Tillman and Mark Smith have missed games. Like we can't, we won't be able to go into the the offseason saying we've seen a Conzo Martin team at full strength and this is what they produced, this is what they did. You know, for the third straight year, we're going to have to kind of account for a variable that you know is kind of hard to quantify, and and that makes things tough. So everyone's looking at this final stretch, looking for signs, but we were doing that a year ago, and the carryover was minimal uh, if any so it's it's just it's been tough to read what progress is yeah i think it's 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 like it's safe to say they've disappointed oh that, i think that, it's safe to say the is. sophomores have been have uh disappointed and that's even without the injuries like the reality is is you should be able to lose one guy and not fall off a cliff uh, and I realize, like, like I think Mark Smith and his ability to just sort of make shots, even if it's been less consistent than he was last year, um, that ability is is important. And I think that's like we've talked a lot about Torrance Watson and his struggles, and he just looks an absolute mess right now. Uh, but him not being able to consistently make shots has hampered the progress of the offense in a lot of ways. And it, it's just one of those things, like if, if Torrance is shooting 36%, which is what he shot last year, 
Uh, Mark is out there shooting 39% and healthy. Uh, then I think that that's something that can actually help the guys around them and make, uh, you know, make Xavier, make, uh, you know, Javon, make these guys look a little better because there's less pressure on each possession because you have a guy who can knock a shot down. Um, and so I just think it's one of those things that, like, it's compounded to the, to the point where, and we've kind of talked about it off offline a little bit, but... Uh, you know, I, I think going into next year, regardless of sort of what happens down the stretch, like the best you can hope for in a preseason prediction uh, for me is probably going to be 10th. Like, I, I don't see any reason why I would put this team as it currently is on, on the roster any higher. Now, are they capable of, of achieving more? Yeah. I mean, we've seen them go out there and, uh, and you know, beat some good teams. I mean, they beat Illinois, who is like nearly winning the best league in the country right now in the Big Ten. Um, so th- there is a lot that needs to happen in the offseason. Um, getting there is going to be interesting down the stretch. Uh, you know, how this team sort of is able to find any level of consistency, you know, what they do to sort of finish out the roster pieces. But, I mean, I would just like to see them carry over Arkansas, LSU, that level of play and start getting out of this ridiculousness that is the Ken Palm 100s. Like, there's no reason for this team to be playing as a 115th team in Ken Palm. Like, that's, even on their worst day, they should be able to defend and rebound enough to get themselves into the top 90. And I, I like, I, like that's, to me, the thing that was probably the most concerning throughout all of this was was how they went from a team that was playing in the top 60 to a team that was in the 100s and a pretty like fast descent uh so how do they turn that around if they turn it around uh and what what happens in the off season to to sort of fix this because i mean we saw like on twitter you know Conzo martin's comments he's such an easy guy to root for and he seems to have these guys still playing hard, despite this season basically, you know, going by the wayside. I would like for him to catch a break. I would like for the Mizzou basketball program to catch a break. Uh, and not just because it would be easier to write about, but I would just like to see them start to make some progress uh, and, and just, just instill some sense of hope. Uh, in the fan base and one that I think is, is sort of starving for it right now. Yeah. And, and you mentioned what, you know, what they need to get done. You know, these, these are the kind of numbers that I look at In sec play. The turnover rate is 20.8%. That is 13th. They are 14th and two point shooting at 43.5%. They are 13th in block rate, which means 16.3% of their shots, nearly one in five get turned away at the rim. And non-steal turnovers, just what we could say is non-forced, unforced errors, dead last in the SEC at 11.9%. They've, you know, the one thing that they've got to clean up is decision-making. And they've got to find guys who can go create offense. You know, they've got to find guys who are strong with the ball, who can go and create offense at the rim. Because they just don't have that right now. They just don't have... You know, Xavier Pinson can, can you know, occasionally get to the rim. But I think I told you last night I was thrilled to see him just go straight up at the rim and take contact. 
and finish a play. Nope, Javon Pickett has struggled to finish over length since he's been here, and it's you know what they need outside is is pretty obvious. Now the question is, can they go get it? You know, they have not offered Donovan Williams. You know, Josh Christopher doesn't have a visit date set to campus yet, and we don't know what the grad transfer market looks like. But I mean, it that that's the missing piece I think for them is they got to go find a slashing kind of wing scorer who, when the offense kind of settles out, can can go make something happen. That that that's the commodity they need right now. So uh, we gotta wrap this up. Um, but two important games coming up. Uh, I would like to see Missouri, you know, at least split. If they want to win both, more power to them. Um, and then you and I will try to do this again next week, um, post Ole Miss, and we'll uh, we'll see where we are then. Uh, I believe I don't want to speak out of turn, but I believe. Uh, we will have a, another football podcast coming soon um, from from those guys. I, I, I think, I think with uh, Brandon Kylie maybe rekindling the, uh, the football podcast and, and you might be getting that a little bit more consistently. So for those who are wondering what is going on with the latest uh, with Mizzou football, uh, you will get the, uh, the dual set tones of Brandon Kylie's voice, possibly Nate Edwards, uh, coming to you soon. So make sure that you're subscribed. You'll get those right to your phone. Uh, nice and easy to listen to on your commute. Um, or at work, at home, wherever you want to listen. Uh, but you and I will be back next week. So until then,